Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Monday. It is October 30th. What a bad weekend in the state of Wisconsin. We'll talk about it all. We'll go through the Packers. How do you fix this version of the Green Bay Packers? We'll talk about it. We'll also do Golden Kegs from the Packers' loss against the Minnesota Vikings. We're going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and the three things you need to know from that game and their loss to the Atlanta Hawks. And then lastly, why I actually think the Badgers sowed some promise, even in their double-digit loss to Ohio State. Uh, before we get going, just a reminder, social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok to review, did really well on TikTok today. So thank you to all that watched that. If you are in from that TikTok, we're on Facebook too at the same name, by the way, tapping the keg sports. Uh, you can follow, we have Spotify, we have Apple, we have wherever else you get your podcasts. We are there for you. Uh, make sure that you're checking in with us four days a week, how the schedule is going to work this week. I know because people care. We'll have a pod today, no pod tomorrow, and then a pod on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday uh, with the trade deadline in the NFL, with the Packers potentially making moves. We're going to wait to do a pod until Wednesday. Now, if the Packers make a move early, they make something you know on Monday night, then we will have a pod. Obviously, Bucks Heat also on Monday night. So we can certainly have a lot to talk about on Tuesday if we do, in fact, have the, the reasons to do a podcast that day. So stay tuned. Mitch and I will be hopping on after Bucks Pacers. Uh, no, yeah, is it Bucks? No, Bucks uh, Raptors. The Pacers, they play the Pacers next week. We'll be hopping on after Bucks Raptors on the first, which is Wednesday, for our Thursday tapping the keg, our usual slot. So that will be this week's round of shows. And before we get going, shout out to my guy Doe's. Happy birthday to him. Uh, guy listens uh, pretty regularly, so we got to make sure that we're shouting out our good good friends and our good people. And let's get into the show. And yeah. This is, a, this is a fun one. This is not one that we're going to be real happy about, but we got to do it. We got to bring it to the people, and we got to talk about the Green Bay Packers and how to fix this team. The Green Bay Packers are at rock bottom. There is no if ands, or buts about that. Green Bay has hit the bottom of sort of wherever it could be, right? Uh, it is the last resort. Uh, it is at the point now where you need to start fixing things. You need to start looking in the mirror and trying to determine what's next for this football team because what the Green Bay Packers are doing is obviously not working. Uh, my dad famously one time told me when people are having trouble in life that either they'll reach out for help and they'll try to get help or they have to hit rock bottom themselves. And so maybe the Green Bay Packers had to hit rock bottom for themselves before they, they fixed everything, before everything changed from this team. The NFL is a very long season. I don't think any of us are thinking about the playoffs, certainly not thinking about the Super Bowl, and definitely not thinking about the division. 
That said, you could still turn around your season and make something of it, right? Look at the Denver Broncos, for example, the team that just beat the Green Bay Packers. They also beat the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend. Now they are back to, I think they're four and five. I want to say, right? They're four and five or three and five. I think they're three and five now. And they're kind of back in the mix. They're back kind of hanging around where you win again. Now all of a sudden you're four and five and you're starting inching closer and closer to 500. And then you have a shot at potentially the playoffs. It can happen that quick. So Green Bay needs to figure out what they can do to fix this team. Everything has went wrong for this team. There is not one thing I look at and say, wow, that actually worked out. That, that was smart. The youth movement, that was smart. The Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon relationship, that was smart. Uh, the way that Joe Barry uses Jair Alexander and, and Russell Douglas, that was smart. Maybe the only thing I guess I could point out as like, quote unquote, smart would be the fact that the Green Bay has got a lot out of their rookie defensive linemen, uh, whether it's Carl Brooks, whether it's... Uh, Corey Wooden, like those guys play pretty well. And so I, I could give that as like, yeah, maybe that went well, but that's been about it. And I guess Zach Tom from last year, potentially everything has went wrong and Green Bay has to fix this. And there isn't a silver bullet. There's not like, well, if we just get this guy back, everything will be fixed, right? Where you can point to it and say, well, they've just had so many injuries that you know you hit that certain point where you you go past the threshold. I feel like the New York Giants are kind of like that, right? Where they lose Tyrod Taylor today to a rib injury and Tommy DeVito, who if any of you have wagered money on Tommy DeVito in Syracuse, you knew that that was going to be a bad, bad news bears situation for the Giants. And it sure as fuck was. And but that's but that you hit the point of no return with injuries. And you can kind of excuse it. You can kind of be like, well, if we weren't so injured, you know, maybe we're we're actually an okay football team. Maybe we're at least a 500 football team. Or if, you know, right now with the Vikings. I mean, the Vikings have to feel so weird as a fan base because they're four and four. They're kind of rowing in the right direction. But Kirk Cousins is likely out for the year with an Achilles injury. So now what do you do? Do you give the keys to Jaron Hall, the rookie from BYU, or do you go out and get a quarterback? Do you go out and get Ryan Tannehill, which has been rumored? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, it's a very tough sort of thing for the Minnesota Vikings because they're in this weird inflection point, especially with the looming Justin Jefferson contract, with the fact that Kurt Cousins isn't going to be back. So what do you do? Do you really want to be good? I, I don't know. I, it's a tough situation that the Vikings are in, but as fucked up as it sounds because they have their quarterback right now with an Achilles injury, I still would rather be the Minnesota Vikings right now. I'd rather be the Minnesota Vikings. I'd rather be the Chicago Bears in a weird way because they're broken and we already knew they were a year away from being a year away. And you saw why Tyson Badgett was a undrafted guy. Like the Lynn Sanity run was over for him against the Chargers and the Chargers were able to take care of business. But it's like, I don't know what the Packers are right now. They're in this messy middle of, are you rebuilding? Do you still have the talent and the pieces to actually be a low level playoff team? Could you sneak a division if things broke all your way? I don't know. And I think the uncertainty is really fucking with a lot of us, including me. 
So I have, I'm offering solutions on how to fix this Green Bay Packers team. And I have a lot of things listed out here. I won't say the Packers should do all of them. I think it's really important when you're trying to figure out what's wrong to have one dependent variable and say, all right, if I change this, do things get better? I don't know if you can do that in a football with football team. Maybe you can do two things. Maybe one thing offensively, one thing defensively, and say, all right, we've changed these two things. Does it get better? Do we are we seeing improvement? And if we are, that's great. And all of a sudden, we have you know we have a different energy. We have a different attitude. We're we're doing things differently on that side of the ball or on the other side of the ball. Like. I think that would matter. And then it's like, if it doesn't work, and it's like, all right, well, we'll go back to what we were doing and we'll try these other two variables. So these are all things that I think the Packers should think about when it comes to fixing their football team. Number one, trade players that do not want to be part of the of a rebuild. It's clear to me that the Packers are in a rebuild. I don't think you can look at it any other way. We were sold a false bill of goods as Packer fans. Now, there were some that that snuffed it out that said, all right, yeah, this team with all their young guys, how is this not a rebuild? This is definitely a rebuild. I didn't want to hear that. I was like the guys in Dumb and Dumber with the hands over my ears, like, la, 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 I'm not not hearing this. I'm not hearing that it's a rebuild, but it clearly is. And so you should be actively on the phones looking to trade for people. There is no way the Packers should be buying assets right now. If the Packers are buying assets, that means that Brian Gunacoust is on the hot seat and that Brian Gunacoust is worried that he's going to get fired. The only people that would make panic trades being two and five and trade four guys would be guys that are thinking they're going to lose their job. If Brian Gunacoust is thinking that he's going to lose his job or knows that he's going to lose his job, then that's where Brian would make a move. And the rumor was from Jay Glazer that they were looking at running backs. Now, I don't really understand why. It, it, is that a sign that Aaron Jones is going to get traded? I have a sneaking suspicion that Aaron Jones might get traded. But if Green Bay, if Gutekunst is comfortable, he should be selling off assets and he should be getting more draft capital, maybe getting some young guys who maybe haven't worked out for a team. I usually don't do player to player trades, but if there's a, you know, a first round draft pick, second round draft pick that has talent, but maybe hasn't shown it at said team, yeah, why don't we try it here? Why don't we see if it works here? And those guys, I think number one's Jair Alexander. Like if we're doing a quick trade value ranking, I feel like Jair Alexander is definitely number one for me because I just think he doesn't want to be here. I think Jair has kind of acted like he had doesn't give a shit. And I just think he should be shipped off. I think there are teams that would need corners. I think there's teams that would take his contract and just be be done with it. I think Preston Smith, I don't think he does. It's not like he doesn't want to be here. He had a great game uh, against Minnesota. But I also think you could get value for Preston Smith. Even though he's a little older of an edge rusher, I think he's a reliable guy that could help out a team. I think Aaron Jones... I think there would be teams that would want to take a bite out of Aaron Jones, especially if you need a running back and saw what McCaffrey did for the San Francisco 49ers. Now, would Aaron Jones do that for a team? Absolutely not. But a team could talk themselves into it, and there you go. 
And then lastly, uh, Kenny Clark. I, I am hesitant on Kenny Clark. I don't, now, I know Green Bay does not give three third contracts with a lot of guys, and Kenny Clark's contract's coming up. But at the same time, Kenny Clark's a really young guy. I feel like the rules are different for Kenny Clark. And I would give Kenny Clark that money. Now, usually what happens is Packers draft guys to replace him, and then they get rid of him. And you saw that with Wooten. You've seen that with Slayton. Uh, it was a couple years ago. And then Carl Brooks. So is this writing down the wall for Kenny Clark? And maybe Kenny Clark should be higher on this trade value list. He's just, I just feel like... Smith and Clark for sure are are still in this team. Like I, I think they're still well connected. Jones and Jair, I don't think Jones is because you had his brother bitching on Twitter. And it, I realize you can't control your family, but if you're bitching on Twitter about it, it, it doesn't mean that Jones is not having that that conversation with Alvin. Like Aaron's really close with his brother, kind of an Antetokounmpo level relationship there. Like they have to be talking. So that would be my list. I don't know if you'll trade all of them. I, I would be stunned if you have the same team, you know, on Tuesday. Uh, because that I feel like A, that would be irresponsible, but B, I, I think that that would just foster more toxic energy. I mean, you going back to the Broncos, one of the things they talked about the broadcast was well, the Broncos got rid of some of their older guys and let the young guys play, and it, it really helped them. Now, why hasn't it helped the Packers? I don't know. Uh, could be the other dependent variables that we're we're set to be talking through. Uh, number two, figure out if Matt Lafleur's play calling is a problem. Have Matt Lafleur give up play calling for a couple of weeks and see if that helps things. Right? Give it to Adam Senovich, Ben Sermons. Give it to. I, I don't think Tom Clement said his old age wants to be calling plays again, and that didn't really work out for the Packers in the past. But give it to somebody else. Let somebody else take over the play calling, see if that works, see if that helps out things. I I do wonder, is Matt LaFleur better as a CEO for this version of the Green Bay Packers? Like are, the, all the undisciplined stuff, all the lack of fundamentals, the drops, everything else. Does Matt LaFleur need to be more of a CEO out there and be talking to all these guys and working with all these guys on a more you know one-to-one basis? then, okay, it's just Matt LaFleur, the play caller, and he's working more closely with Jordan Love. I, I don't know. And that's where I wonder about the play call. Like, look at Frank Wright. He gave up play calls for Thomas Brown, former Wisconsin Badger, and Brown won the game. They won the game. Now, was it pretty? No. They won 15-13 against Houston. But still, they they did enough to win the game, right? They got into they got into scoring areas. They just couldn't finish drives. They had a couple. Whatever. How many field goals did they have? They had one touchdown, and then I think they had a not three field goals in the second half from Pinero. So like, it's frustrating, but at least they showed some sort of progress. And you know, maybe this works for Carolina. We'll have to see. But yeah, Lafleur should definitely look at his play calling. Uh, try a new offensive line combination. I think all of us have pushed for that. I couldn't believe Adam Stenovich on Friday was like, oh, Josh Myers is playing the best football of his career. I'm like, what the fuck are you watching, dude? What what are you actually watching that Josh Myers is playing the best? I've watched enough tape on Josh Myers, and I can tell you Josh Myers is not playing the best football of his career. That is absolutely fucking garbage from Stenovich. And just shows the head being buried in the sand. Now, they did go with Josh Nyman for a bit there in the game because Rasheed Walker can't stop getting penalties. And Nyman hurt his foot, so then you had to have Rasheed Walker back in. If Green Bay, I, I will say this, and I know what I, I said about 
you know, buying guys and seems like a panic move. If they were to get a tackle, I, I wouldn't exactly hate that. But you're giving Josh Nyman all this money. You're like, why wouldn't you play Josh Nyman? Like, Rasheed Walker is clearly not the answer. They need to move on from that idea. And if you're comfortable playing Nyman for whatever reason, move Zach Tom, Tom to the left, put Nyman at right where he's a little more comfortable and figure it the fuck out. Or put Elton Jenkins at left tackle and put Tom at right and then put Sean Ryan at left guard or John Runyon at left guard, Sean Ryan at, at right guard, whatever it may be. But you gotta fix this fucking line. It's not, it's just not getting the job done. And it's again, the Packers just sitting on their fucking hands and not wanting to fix anything. Number four, hold people accountable for dropping passes, alligator arms, not fighting for the ball. It's mostly receivers, but it's like, I, I feel like there's no accountability when these guys drop passes, when they alligator arm, when they don't fight for balls. And I know this is kind of meathead sports fan of me, but like they should, they should be down for a possession. Like if you alligator, if you're not fighting for the ball, like you should be down for a possession. And also what the fuck is this receivers coach doing? I don't even, I, I hand up, I'll look it up now. It might be Ben Sermons, who I just said could call plays. But like, what is their receivers coach actually fucking doing here? Because it, it oh, Jason Vrabel. Jason Vrabel, what the fuck is Jason Vrabel doing? Like, it, he got promoted to being the Packers wide receiver coach this year. He's there also the passing game coordinator. And the guy is completely lost out there. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Absolutely not. Like, he has no clue. Like, he's not working with the guys to fight for footballs. He's not working with the guys to say, hey, maybe not alligator arm everything. Like, he's a complete zero. Like, we have just not seen any development from this wide receiver group. And that's just terribly frustrating. And I feel like you got to start having some accountability. And, and also, too, for penalties, just unnecessary penalties. Like, if it's their fault and they do something dumb, take them the fuck out of the game for a little bit. You know, it's like, all right, if you cost your team some points, then that's what it is. But we can't just keep playing this undisciplined style of football and not have some rigor. Now, the last two fixes are more extreme, I'll admit. Make a change in defensive coordinator. We've wanted it for so long for Joe Barry. Joe Barry gave up eight third and eight or longers today. Like absolutely pathetic from Joe Barry. And Joe Barry still gets to keep his job. And I know you're like, well, he gave him 24 points. That's not a ton of points. It doesn't matter. It's the schematic things that the Packers do that I don't see any other defenses do in football. They were running light boxes at the goal line. Like, I just, I can't believe Joe Barry still has a fucking job. And you know what's going to be funny? We'll get our asses kicked by Detroit and Kansas City around Thanksgiving time. And then they'll be like, oh, we're going to fire Joe Barry. And it'll be obviously a little too late. And we'll sit our hands and just watch another, another month go by. Like Joe Barry has just stole more money than really anyone in Wisconsin. And then number six is make a change of offensive coordinator. Adam Stenovich, what the fuck is Adam Stenovich done? What has Adam Stanovich done to make you feel good about him as a coach? He was a great offensive line coach. He was praised for his work on the offensive line. People looked at him for head coaching jobs. They made a right decision by not getting him. Remember, Hackett leaves. Stanovich gets promoted. When he gets promoted, the offensive line starts to struggle. And 
basically they they've never been the same because again people are wearing too many hats so like find a new offensive line coach figure out or just get rid of Stenovich altogether and find a new offensive coordinator I don't know it's it's just there's a lot wrong right now with Green Bay and you know I'm trying my best to say stay positive and figure out a way but yeah you cannot cannot next week against the LA Rams look the same. It cannot be the same story that we've seen throughout the last few weeks. They are 73 and nine in terms of the points against to the points for in the first half of the last five games. That is absolutely putrid. This movie keeps getting repeated time and time again like a sinister version of Pleasantville. Like it has to change. You have to do some different things. And you gotta come out there with some heart. If the Packers are saying we're right there or we're just not ready to play, why aren't you ready to play? You you know when the game is. You know that it's on Sunday. How are you not fucking ready? I hope that things change for, for Los Angeles and for the future of this Green Bay Packer team. Because I'm not sure how many more Sundays I can go through this same song and dance. Let's move on to Golden Kegs for those who are new. Uh, Golden Kegs is where we look through the game. We talk about the best and the worst from the game. Five kegs being the best, one keg being the worst. Five kegs, I will go with Preston Smith as a five kegger. Preston Smith had a great game. The guy was everywhere. He had a great pass defense against TJ Hawkinson before then Hawkinson gets a touchdown on the very next play. But Preston Smith was a dog out there. He played really well. Uh, felt like that was the best game we've seen for Preston Smith. Also had a really good game was TJ Slayton. TJ Slayton was an absolute space eater in the middle. Uh, Minnesota, except for that one spurt where Cam Akers got the touchdown, they really didn't do much in terms of run game. And Slayton was a huge part of that. Uh, so his development has been encouraging this year. Uh, feels like a guy who has ascended a little bit uh, and that's great and, and that's what you like to see and haven't seen enough of that I think across the board but it's good to see at least one guy that that's worth talking about in a positive manner uh, Slayton's been great Minnesota getting a penalty on a challenge was tremendous like that's very East Dakota that's stuff that you love you know you can't even really make fun of the Vikings after this loss after we just got our asses handed to us but the one thing we can't make fun of them for is getting a penalty on a challenge. They were right about the challenge, but then they get an extra five yards added on because they had too many men on the field. Like that's that's fucking perfect. That's that's exactly what you want uh, from Minnesota. And that's just a very Minnesota behavior move. I also five keg shout out to a quick game. Like it was this was at least over in three hours. Like it was not like a just stab your dick into a, you know, spiked hole like for three and a half hours. It was at least like a three-hour game, and that and it got us in, got us out, and it wasn't it wasn't as painless or as painful as like a three and a half or four-hour game like that. That would have been terrible, and and thankfully it was not that. And so, kudos to everybody for moving this game along quickly. 
Uh, four kegs, I have one guy. It's Jaden Reed. Like, look, I know Jaden Reed had the interception. He should have definitely fought for that ball. I love Rob Domofsky and Ryan Wood both saying that it was underthrown. I don't understand that for the life of me. Uh, that pass was pretty damn good. And if Jaden Reed fights for that ball a little bit more, worst case scenario, it's just Metellus breaking up the play. But Metellus picks up, picks that, that ball off. And then right after that, immediately the next play, Kirk Cousins hits Jordan Addison for a touchdown. And that kind of changed the game. That changed the energy. It changed. It really shifted the entire football game. But I, I still thought Jaden Reed played well. He had four catches, 83 yards. He actually ran the most routes out of any of the wide receivers at Green Bay Packers. I feel like the Jaden Reed confidence has grown in terms of the Packers as well as, as Jordan Love. So I, I really like what we're seeing out of Jaden Reed. I just wish in that one play he would have done a little bit more because had he done that, you know, that this game kind of is not really different, right? Uh, who know, I don't know if the Packers score there. I don't know if the Packers, you know, even, you know, are productive. Who knows? They might have thrown a pick somewhere else on the field. But still, it, it was a game-changing play, uh, and it really came down to Reed just not fighting for the ball. I gave Jordan Love a three-keg. Uh, I was at a two-keg. I moved him up. I, I feel like... Looking at Jordan Love's stat line and what Jordan Love did, like it's really not his fault. Like it's the scene in Goodwill Hunting where Robin Williams is talking to Matt Damon and he's like, "It's not your fault. It's not your fault." Like I feel like I have to do that for Jordan Love. I mean, how many fucking drops did they have today? And he threw the ball right where it needed to be, and people dropped it. You had Romeo Dobbs, alligator arm, a deep ball that got to him, but Dobbs kind of slowed down his route, didn't let the ball just come to him. And if he would have just kept running with the football, he would have got that pass, but he alligator under. Christian Watson had a couple moments where he didn't fight for footballs. And it just seems like Jordan Love has a, a group of guys that aren't on the same page with Jordan Love. And I, I just find that hard to fathom. You'd think that Brian Gunacus would have drafted guys that fit what Jordan Love's strengths and weaknesses are. And basically would help his strengths and his weaknesses would able be able to sort of hide those, right? No, there hasn't been any of that. They're, the Packers do not play complimentary football. They're completely allergic to it. There is a larger discussion about Brian Gunacus that we probably need to have, uh, but we're not having it today. But yeah, Jordan Love gets a three keg for me only because I just feel like a lot of the issues here today weren't his fault. I saw Colin Coward be like, oh, Jordan Love's a backup. Like, I don't know, man. Like, it's it's not it's not even that it's too early. I just, I like, how much can we blame Jordan Love on this? It's like, we always want to blame the quarterback. But if guys are dropping balls and you can't run the football, how much is that on the quarterback? I think, I forget who asked the question of what quarterback would succeed under what Jordan Love has been dealing with this year, I think there's only like a small few. I think it's Mahomes. I think it's Burrow. I don't even know if Josh Allen survives it because Josh Allen's just such a turnover machine and such a gunslinger that I don't know if it would work. I think Hurts would probably survive, honestly, because I think just the way that he's able to run the football, that would probably that would probably benefit him. Uh, trying to think if there's any other people that I would... I would qualify in that list where I'm like, oh yeah, they'd survive. I don't know, Trevor Lawrence, maybe. 
Uh, I think he'd be on the outskirts for me for sure. Lamar, again, kind of that running quarterback where at least you have that that sort of aspect of your game. Herbert, maybe. Uh, but like Jordan Love's been put under a really difficult situation and it's really hard for me to look at it and say, oh yeah, this is definitely a pack of quarterback. Absolutely not. Other three categories, Rashawn Gary. Uh, he had a couple of good moments in this game, but he also had a penalty. Uh, it, it's been a nice season for Sean Gary. I think some of the the shine has been off him. He's still kind of on a pitch count, which is wild to me. It's like, I, I guess I get it, but man, how conservative do we need to be with people's injuries? Uh, two, Romeo Dobbs. I, I said enough about Romeo Dobbs with the alligator arms. I'm pretty much out on Romeo Dobbs. I will I will put my, I know he caught the touchdown, which is great, but I'm, I'm pretty much out. Like, I, I just don't, I, I don't see enough of it. I don't see enough there that makes me think, oh yeah, Romeo Dobbs is definitely a wide receiver two in, in this league. I think he's a wide receiver three at best. Uh, I feel like, Jay, again, Jaden Reed should really be more the guy. And I understand he's in the slot and whatnot, but you can make that work where it's, you know, he's the slot, but then you have two tight ends, whatever. And it's, it's Watson and Reed. And I, I feel like it should be more of Watson and Reed than Watson and Dobbs. Watson, Watson, Wicks, and Reed really should be the three wide receivers and not Romeo Dobbs. That's that's how I feel. That's where I'm at with Romeo Dobbs. Uh, two for Quay Walker's zone coverage. Uh, look, man, Quay, Quay just need like, and I don't know if it's Joe Barry. I don't know if it's Quay Walker, you know, the individual. Like, I, it seems like the team loves Quay Walker. So I don't want to be too mean and too like harsh on Quay Walker. Because I saw his quotes about being upset that he dropped an interception and said, you know, it's my fault. And that's part of the reason we lost this game. And Rasul Douglas basically told him, you know, respectfully to fuck off. Because he's like, no, dude, if we had 11 Quay Walkers, we'd be 7-0 and right now. We, you know, if we had, you know, your energy, what you bring to the table, we would be a great fucking team. So I, I look at that and I'm like, all right, well, maybe I should be less harsh on him, but he just does not seem like a linebacker that can play the zone. He doesn't seem to get when like a guy's behind him. He doesn't have that natural feel. So he has to get better at that. Uh, one keg, I have a, a laundry list of one kegs that pissed me off in this game. One keg to the third down defense. What a pathetic showing from the Green Bay Packers when it comes to third down defense. It was absolutely abysmal uh, what they were doing on third down. It's like, I was texting group chat being like, okay, uh, this'll be Hawkinson for 15 yards. Oh wait, it's Osborne for 20, close enough. Like, I just could not believe how the Packers could not get off the field on third down. They had the Vikings in so many third and eights. Like, this was such a winnable game for the Green Bay Packers. And they just pissed it away in so many different areas. Uh, but yeah, the third down defense was truly, truly pathetic. Aaron Jones carries and usage. I like. I just don't get it at this point. Like, if he, if this is because they're going to trade him on Tuesday, I'll get it and I'll understand that they were trying to basically keep him sort of like a Lamborghini in the garage and just say, all right, we'll we'll let the other, you know, your other family take out the Lamborghini uh, next next month. But it, it makes no sense at all. All the drops, uh, yeah, we talked about that. The drops are fucking terrible. Uh, I, I don't necessarily know how you fix that. 
Um, with the guys he got, again, it would help if the wide receiver coach did his job. Uh, undisciplined Packers, uh, they've just, yeah, it's just been a complete clusterfuck. They had the most penalties in the first half since the 2012 game against the San Francisco 49ers. Like that, that's just, that's just bad fucking football for Green Bay. And that's where it's like, you're a bad team. Uh, Jay Alexander already talked about him. He, again, he wants to be somewhere else. Like let Jair go to Philly. Uh, uh, Anders Carlson missed second straight game. He's missed the field goal at the end of the half. I don't know if he's putting too much pressure on himself with the fact the Packers can't score any otherwise, but we can't have that. Uh, We can't miss his, I know he ends up getting the penalty, makes the field goal, but yeah, can't have that. The run uh, on on first down, down 14. Uh, Jonathan Vilma, we'll get to in a second to wrap up Golden Kegs, uh, was like, why are they booing? It's like, well, dude, you have, it's like, there's six minutes left to go in this game. You're down 10. You have just basically tilted the game a little bit because you forced a fumble on Jaron Hall, who's in for the first time in his career at Lambeau Field. Why the fuck is it not a slot fade to Christian Watson? Why is it not a back shoulder to Romeo Dobbs? And you don't have to get everything. You don't have to get a whole enchilada, but get down to the goal line. Start building some momentum. Because if you score there and you go for two, because that's what Lafleur did against the Saints, all of a sudden, this place becomes a fucking madhouse. Because, it, and this new rookie quarterback has to either take his team down eight or down six to try to preserve a lead. And all of a sudden, the Vikings are on their heels. And it's very similar to the Saints game. But instead, they run the ball, they drain the clock, and they're in second and long because they just decided to run up the middle. The Packers, I mean, that's a whole other thing. You want to talk about fixing the Packers. Why don't we run on the fucking edges? Like the goal line stuff, All I nearly lost my mind. The goal line, they scored a touchdown there in the fourth quarter, but like, or the fourth down, but I nearly absolutely lost it because Jordan Love does not pull it when he needs to pull it. Jordan Love pulls it when he shouldn't have pulled it, and A.J. Dillon would have ran into the end zone. It's like, Jesus Christ, like, what do we practice? Like, what do we what do we actually practice out there? Uh, and then lastly, Jonathan Vilma. I, I always liked Buck and Aikman. I've never had a problem with Buck and Aikman. I never, I didn't, don't really have a problem with Nance and Roma when they call our games, or Tariko and Collinsworth, or Michaels and Herbstreit for that matter. God damn it. Does it suck to be a bad team and get bad announcers? Jonathan Vilma is just trash. Like he he just is bad. He's probably the worst play by the worst color guy that they have. Like I was thinking about him, like ah, Mark Schlereth is not great, but he's tolerable. I kind of like Sanchez, uh, who's a ro- lower tier guy for Fox. Uh, he's fine. Because uh, that's what we are. We're we're now in the Sam Rosen, Dick Stockton games of old. I mean, if you guys remember both those guys, like Dick Stockton, which I don't know if Dick Stockton's alive still, but he would basically call games from the crib. And it was just it was so bad when Dick Stockton was calling games or Sam Rosen for that matter. But like, yeah, they, you, you definitely need, like you're getting the, you're getting the low tier guys. You're getting Andrew Catalan and Tiki Barber on CBS or Spiro Didis and Adam Archuleta or Beth Mowens and James Lofton. Like 
Fox, oh, Chris Lewis and Ross Tucker did Baltimore, Arizona. I didn't know who Chris Lewis was. I was listening to that on Red Zone. I was like, who the fuck is this guy? I have no idea. Uh, Chris Myers is bad. Um, so I, I want Chris Myers not to be not to be on my team. Brandon Gordon and Robert Smith. I, I Robert Smith is pretty bad. He did like a late Packer game too. But yeah, I don't know, man. I just, please, like, can we... Can we fucking stop with the Jonathan Vilma stuff like that? We just don't need another Jonathan Vilma game. We've had three Jonathan Vilma games already. I think we've we've filled our cup on the uh, the Jonathan Vilma broadcasts. All right, that does it for Golden Kegs. We'll, we'll be back next week to do the Rams. Maybe it'll be happier Golden Kegs for once in a... We haven't had a happy Golden Kegs shit since uh, late September when I was at the Packers. Maybe I need to go back. Maybe, maybe it's me. Maybe I, to fix Packers... Maybe I need to go back to Lambeau and fix the team. We'll, we'll have to see. Efforting on that. I don't necessarily have a lot of disposable income at this point, but who knows? I wish I could say that we were moving on to a, a happier topic, right? I wish that was what I would be saying, but instead uh, the Milwaukee Bucks got ran off the floor and lost 127 to 110 to the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, everybody was like, oh, well, at least the Bucks play. At least the Bucks are on it. At six o'clock, we get to watch Damon Giannis again. And they got absolutely shit pumped by the Hawks. The Hawks were destined to not go 0-3. They had lost the night prior, or not the night prior, excuse me, on on Friday. And they were like, nope, we're not going to be 0-3. And they kicked the Bucks' ass. And the Bucks did not have any sort of energy to start this game. I said this on the review, but I, I think it bears repeating. If you didn't see the review... Tapping the Keg Sports on TikTok, Tapping the Keg on Twitter. I tried something fun on Instagram, by the way. Tapping the Keg Sports there too. Uh, that's a little different. Uh, so we'll see how the, how the people feel about that one. Uh, the Bucks, just like you got to be ready for that target, man. Like that target's there. It's going to be there every fucking game. Even though the Bucks lost in the first round, they have a target on their back. People are paying close attention to what the Milwaukee Bucks are doing. You cannot avoid it. You cannot You cannot run from it. You can't sleepwalk games. I feel like the Bucs should know that. And that should be more of a conversation we're having game nine or game 10, not game two. But it, it just seemed like the Bucs were uninterested in playing this basketball game because they have Miami tomorrow. And they're like, we're not worried about this game. We are going to completely punt this game and we're worried about Miami because we want to get revenge on Miami. We want to make a statement against Miami and we want to beat their ass. And instead they were like, we're not going to focus on Atlanta at all. Good teams would focus on both. I'm not saying the Bucks are a bad team, but it's a little concerning that they just completely punted this, this basketball game, especially when it's going to be close with the Celtics all season long. And game two is as important as 82, okay? And so I'm a little perturbed at sort of the Bucks' attitude heading in this game, especially at home. People pay good money for this game. Like I know that's like very hand-wringy shit, but it's like, come on, man. You got to show up a little bit. And they didn't. Uh, and as kind of in that to start the three lessons from this game, three things to know from Bucks-Hawks, uh, there was no energy from the get-go. Uh, the Bucks had none of it. Uh, they just were lifeless. And they started out, they were down 12-4, and they never really got off the mat from there. You know, they got close a couple couple times, you know, in that late first quarter, in that second quarter, and then the second quarter just fell off the rails. 
It seemed like the Bucks were settling for shots. They weren't necessarily moving the ball around too much. It was just sort of, all right, whose turn is it to shoot? Your turn to shoot, clank. All right, the Hawks, Temple, run up the, the court, get a basket. There you go. Like, they're just, they did not want to be there. And I, I kind of just don't understand that two games into the season. Maybe it's just still getting used to it, still getting your sea legs under it. I don't know if anybody went out went out on Saturday. Mitch hates when I say that. I didn't say that to Mitch in a group chat because I knew he was probably upset how bad the Bucks were playing. Because Mitch is like, whoa, you always fucking say that. And it's like, well, I know these guys are young guys. I know, you know, Dame's freshly off a divorce. Like, it would it shock me if he was at Silk getting lappies last night? No, it wouldn't. Would it shock me if he was at 720 last night drinking, drink having a good time? Yeah. No, it would, or no, it wouldn't. And look, drinking in Milwaukee's a little different than drinking in Portland. And maybe what he did in Portland on Saturday night for a Sunday game, he has to change that up and you get used to it, right? So I don't know, man. Uh, it just the energy was completely lacking from this Bucks team. It'll be very interesting to see what they look like on another Sunday night, especially at home in Milwaukee. I, they have other Sunday games. I, I don't exactly know when the next one is, but it'd be very interesting to see like, all right, is this energy going to be different? Are you gonna show sort of that different sort of energy next time around? Let's see, when's the next Sunday game? Actually against Portland. So you'll probably get it. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend on the 26th, uh, you know, Bucks, Bucks Blazers, 2.30 start. You don't usually see a 2.30 start uh, in Milwaukee, but you will have Bucks Blazers 2.30 uh, on that Sunday. So we'll see if see if they can match, match it then. Uh, that would be obviously appreciated. Uh, another thing to learn about this game, the Milwaukee Bucks had nothing from Damian Lillard. I mentioned it that Damian Lillard just did not look like himself. After a 39-point game on Thursday night, Dame followed it up with six points, uh, two of 12 shooting overall, six turnovers, five assists. He did not get to the free throw line at all uh, after getting to the line 17 times in the game against Philadelphia 76ers. He didn't get there at all today. So I, I, don't, I don't know if there's anything worth being upset about with Dame, uh, I you know obviously it's game two, right? Uh, there's it's a long way to go, but it was a very lackluster uh, performance from Lillard, and hopefully bounce back tomorrow. I would assume that against the team that he thought he might be playing for in Miami, that he'd want to show out. Uh, but we need him up. We need him to show out every night. I mean that's again the energy that is required and is a guy who's not really had a target on his back all season all year or his career maybe that's something that Lillard is is potentially struggling with which it it's okay uh it'll obviously come with time and there's going to be bumpy you know speed blocks in this Bucks experience like this is not always going to be perfect we know that I think it's just the surprising fact that there was no energy Dame was awful uh, just was a bad combination. I felt like the officiating altered this game early on. Uh, the Bucks kind of had something working with their second unit. Their second unit came to play. Like Bobby Portis had some really good minutes in the first quarter. Uh, Campaign had some nice minutes. Marjan Bochamp had some nice minutes. But they were getting called for all these fouls at the perimeter. 
And I just wonder if, you know, those fouls don't actually get called. And they were bad calls. And they were just calling everything. And they were it was a really tight game for Billy Kennedy. And if they, they were not calling this game tight, is this a different sort of game? Like, I don't think the Bucs win. But is this close? Like, do the Bucs maybe find some life in the second half? Because it just felt like campaign and Bochamp getting, you know, three fouls themselves – they, they just, it did not help them. And it, it also made sort of perimeter defense not exactly a focus for them. And they took away what the Bucs can do from a pressure style defense. And that is a concern, you know, given the fact that they do have this new defense in place, is that going to be an issue going forward? That when the refs are calling it tight, like they did tonight, how does that change your defense? How do you have to fix your defense? Do you need to start doing, you know, some drop principles? Do you need to go into zone? Like, what can you do to fix that and kind of mitigate the ticky-tackness of the officiating? But yeah, I, I really felt like there would have been a moment there for the Bucks to kind of retake the lead or, or even take the lead in general and kind of reset this game, but they just couldn't. And it's not all the refs' fault. Uh, you know, again, it was a lot of lazy shooting Bucks really didn't attack the rack again. I just didn't think they want to be here, and I hope that we don't see a lot of these performances. I hope that this is a one-off. Uh, but yeah, it was it was not a good night uh, for your Milwaukee Bucks. And I, I actually, who had a worse night, Bucks or Brewers or uh, Packers? I still think I'd say Packers, but it's closer than you think. I, it's a really bad look for the Bucks as it's game number two to just come out and lay an egg like. You'd expect to lay an egg, all right, it's two weeks in the season, three weeks in the season, like, all right, that's the time to lay an egg. This this isn't exactly a time that you want to see your team lay an egg. You hope that's, you know, week three, week four. Wrapping up today's show with the Wisconsin Badgers, as I kind of said in the open, I, I actually don't hate what happened with Wisconsin against Ohio State over the weekend. I know what you guys will say to me, Charlie, that's loser talk. That is loser talk to the nth degree. They only scored 10 points. Like, how can you say that? How can you feel good about this Badger team? I would say what, what I would offer you there is their defense looked like the Badger defense of old. Like, they really looked like the ones that we saw a few years ago. Mike Tressel did a great job with the guys that he had and had a game plan against Kyle McCord, against Trayvon Henderson, against Marvin Harrison. And now Henderson and Harrison had their moments, but Henderson and Harrison are top tier players. They're elite football players. So they're gonna get theirs. But I still felt like Trestle did enough. He His defense let Wisconsin hang around in the second half. You know, they broke it loose late. But guess what? That defense had been on the field for a very long time. You know, the the guys like Hunter Waller, uh, Najamada, Ricardo Holman, they all had great days in my opinion. And I feel like you're starting to see, you know, guys become dudes for that Wisconsin team. And they're kind of making an ascend on that defense. I feel like this defense is leaps and bounds better than what you saw against Washington State. And, you know, the worries about explosives are still kind of there, but they're not there as much as they were, you know, 
few few weeks ago, a few months ago, or a month ago. So I do think they've turned a corner defensively, and I, I feel like that's a, that's something to really be happy about. And I know that this did not go the route that people people you know hoped. They were like, yeah, maybe get the upset, you know, shock the world, and all of a sudden you know Badger football is kind of on the map again. But it's still there's still some signs that all right, it's it's trending in the right direction. If the Badgers and Ohio State were to meet again in the Big Ten Championship, I think the Badgers would have a shot. I really do. Like there were a couple things that it, it breaks the right way for them, and they might win that football game. Like look, they it, I, I, Luke Fickle took the three points in the the start of the uh, or at the end of the first half. And some people could be like, oh, that's pussy behavior. You should have went for it. We're obsessed with going for it. And there are some times where field goals are okay. That was a situation where it was okay. They were not doing anything on offense. Take the points. Get the ball back. They ended up scoring a touchdown on that first drive. They had a great scripted drive down. They score a touchdown. It's 10-10 at that point. And they are right in the football game. Now Ohio State comes back, gets a touchdown of their own. They hook up Maserati Marv. And Marvin Harrison has a massive drive, and they're up 17 to 10 again. And it's like, okay, there you go. That's a that is a, a great response from a, a team with elite athletes like you have Harrison Henderson. But I don't think Luke Fickle going for it would have changed this game. Like, I just think Braylon Allen's hurt. He said he would have took the points even if Allen was healthy. Uh, and they you know, did what they could. And, you know, that's another thing about this game that where I, I think there's promise, they lost, they had their back quarterback in. They lose Braylon Allen to an injury. So it's Jackson Acker and some redshirt freshman, Iaconelli. Like, Katie Iaconelli, you told Katie Iaconelli two years ago that he would be playing in Wisconsin, Ohio State, or Iaconelli, excuse me. Uh, no one would believe you. Uh, he was a Pennsylvania kid. He he's technically listed as an athlete, so not sure what we think Yakamelli could be a real gym rat, a big grinder potentially, uh, if you will. But maybe Yakamelli is the next Garrett Groshek. Who knows? The fact Yakamelli is a white running back and not from Wisconsin is incredible. Like I would have definitely thought he was from Prestago or Cuba City. Or I probably butchered that first name, Shauna, uh, Kakana. Like that's where I would think a Cade Yakamali would would exist. But no, Pennsylvania, Harrison City, uh, to be exact. And so the Packers, the Badgers, excuse me, were down their running back. They also lose Chimari DK, uh, one of their better starting wide receivers, and he still hung around until midway through the fourth. Like that's pretty damn good. Like Braden Lock, I don't think Braden Lock had a turnover in this game, right? If I'm not mistaken. Braden, Braylon Allen lost that fumble uh, in the first half, which was brutal. But Bray, but so Braden Locke did not fumble the football. He did not have an interception. Like, that's that's pretty good. Like, you, you got to at least sort of appreciate that, right? Like, you can, again, I, I hear you. I, I understand it's frustrating. I know losing sucks. I know losing to Ohio State, you haven't beat them since 2010, is not great. Right, it's been fucking thirteen years, but still, like there are things to take away from this and say, all right, yeah, we can build on this. This is build worthy 
for Wisconsin. And so I, I really think they should be encouraged. Now, could the injuries be too much? Yeah, that's, I think that's a real worry for Wisconsin. They're getting that point. We talked about that with the uh, New York Giants earlier when we were doing it with the Packers stuff. Like, there is a point of no return where you're just too injured. Now, their defense is pretty healthy, and it's all about now can Wisconsin finish it off in a very tight Big Ten race where three, four teams have two losses. And the Big Ten West is always fucking crazy. But the Badgers kind of control their own destiny in a sense. Obviously, they need Iowa to lose. But you play Indiana on the road. Now, Indiana probably had their best game of the year. They were they hung in it with Northwest, or, uh, Penn State the entire game. Their own five in conference. Indiana might look at Wisconsin and say, all right, well, they're licking their wounds. But Rutgers was able to run all over Indiana. And can Wisconsin do the same, even with Jackson Acker and Yakimali back there? Who knows? We'll see. Uh, and, we, and who knows? Maybe Allen's injury is okay. Usually when a walking boot, though, comes out, you don't, you don't like to see that unless you're Big Ben. Big Ben walking boot, you're like, okay, he's playing next week. But Braylon Allen, I don't know. Yeah, I, I am not expecting Braylon Allen to be out there. So I still think they can beat Indiana even in a sleepy 11 a.m. game in Bloomington. Like I, I still feel like that's a game – the Badgers can win. And if you don't, then yeah, you're, you just got to make sure that you're bull eligible, which I think the Badgers are one win away from. And then they get Northwestern home. Northwestern has looked better. Uh, Northwestern has four wins, which is crazy. Uh, but you get Northwestern at home and then you get Nebraska at home. Nebraska has been playing better. Uh, I, as I said, I think earlier in the year when we were talking Badgers, I was like, that Nebraska game is going to be a little bigger than you expect because Nebraska is going to be kind of peaking. Like Nebraska is definitely playing, you know, look better when this year goes on. Matt Rule has the guys kind of in gear. Like they're five and three. They're they're the same record as Wisconsin and they're playing good football. And then you have Minnesota. And I don't know how Minnesota keeps winning football games. It's on the road, but they they do. Uh, Calamanis is not good. Uh, they Darius Taylor, their their new freshman running backs really solid. So maybe that's why. But Calamanis, the I think they call him the Greek rifle or the Greek cannon or something like that. Like he's bad. Like he's an awful quarterback, and he he's not done a lot. Where I'm like, oh yeah, that guy, you know, completely changes things. So I still think the door is open for them for sure to win the Big Ten. Like I look at all the schedules, tail of the tape. You're like, okay, Minnesota, Illinois, Purdue at home, and then they they go to Ohio State, and then they have to play Wisconsin. You can, they're gonna lose to Ohio State. And then if, you know, Badgers beat them, they have four losses in the Big Ten. There you go. Uh, Nebraska has Michigan State at home. They have Maryland at home. They can go to Wisconsin, and they're home for Iowa. <sighs> Nebraska has a solid path, man. Like, don't sleep on that Nebraska potential. Like, that, that's there. Like, the door is open. Like, Michigan State, Maryland's doing Maryland things again. Uh, and then you, you have, you know, you control your own destiny by playing Wisconsin and Iowa. And then Iowa, they have Northwestern at Wrigley with the over-under at 29 and a half. And then Rutgers at home, Illinois at home. And then they go, I think they go to Nebraska. Uh, and that'll be a, that could be a potentially great game. And that could decide the Badgers' fate. It'll be very interesting to see how this all shakes out. Uh, because Big Ten West never, it's never not entertaining, right? It all, this always happens in this in this side of the bracket and obviously for the Badgers it's imperative that DK and 
Allen back, and we'll see what the, what their injuries end up being. But yeah, the Badgers, I still think, should come away from this game feeling like they they have something. Right, they're not necessarily the talent gap isn't as wide as it was last year. Last year it was awful; they get absolutely run out the gym. I know it's not a gym, but it's it was sixty three to twenty one, which just can't happen, right? If you're kind of where the Badgers are as a program, that just should not happen to you. At least you're getting there, right? At least you're sort of making progression, and so I feel like. This is a step in the right direction for Wisconsin, and they should feel they should feel okay about it. I realize they lost, but I feel like out of the three teams, you I think you feel the best about Wisconsin, honestly. So we'll see. But anyways, back on Wednesday, we will react to the trade deadline. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Again, if a trade does happen uh, for the Packers, we will be we will change course and we'll have. A, We'll have a podcast for you, so don't worry. I will not leave you hanging. But uh, if I don't talk to you on Halloween, the actual day of Halloween, stay safe. And we'll, yeah, we'll be back on, on Wednesday uh, unless something goes crazy. All right, take care. Have a good one. It will get better, I promise. All right, take care. Have a good one. Bye.